music has always been a part of Christmas. Music's always been a part of our celebration of Christmas. This is my uh, third Christmas performance that I have gotten the opportunity to watch. Um, and can you imagine that at one of these performances I got to watch that the middle school boys weren't too excited to be up in front of people singing? You know, it just kind of blows your mind. Not all people are excited about coming together and singing about what Christ has done. Singing about that Christ has come and that He will come again. But what you heard this morning was a proclamation. A witnessing of these kids of what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. One of my favorite moments so far from this Christmas season uh, was a couple of nights ago, um, one of my very large dogs is scared of storms, and so I was up really late. It was about three in the morning, and my daughter uh, got up to go to the restroom. I didn't know she was up going to the restroom. All I heard was singing. She woke up singing. She woke up singing some of the songs that you heard this morning. And I just thought, what a special gift, and we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to sing about. We have a lot to proclaim as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as I've been preparing to preach this sermon, the, the lines uh, that you hear, my soul exalts the Lord. There's a song that at the church where I pastored previously that we would do sometimes, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. And this song has just kind of been inside of me uh, going over and over. And yesterday I was taking... Silas to uh, play lacrosse in Atlanta. And the first thing that happened is we hit a wreck. We sat for an hour. My soul was not magnifying very much. But then I, I got back in it. I was good to go. And about a mile later, we had a tire blew out on the side of I-75. So I got to pull over to the left side with all the traffic and fix the tire and the jack fell and all those things. And I, I, as I was stomping around, Throwing the jack in the truck, I'm like, my soul is not magnifying the Lord anymore. <laughs> Even in the midst of that chaos, the news that we come to celebrate this morning, that, that we look at, we pause during this time of year, and we look at Christ being born. It is great and wonderful news. You see, God has given us music as kind of a natural expression that happens, I think, deep down within our soul. And so when you're sad, you think of certain songs. When you're happy, you think of certain songs. When you're in love, you think of certain songs. During Christmas, we think of certain songs. And as you read, as this was read this morning, what's called the Magnificat, as Mary is singing here, we all know it and we see as Mary is singing that her soul is just rejoicing. The first two verses that we have here, it says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my great Savior. She's bursting forth into song. And I just wonder, I just wonder, this is speculation. We can't prove this, so I want to make sure you know this is what I'm getting ready to say is speculation. But I just wonder, as we look at the beginning of Luke, 
And Luke, as he's writing his introduction, the physician, he said, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out to you in consecutive order, O oh, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. And the speculation that I wonder, is it possible that Luke had a conversation with Mary? Is it possible that, that some of this came from Mary's own lips to Luke? The ages may not quite line up. Certainly Luke would have known James, but it's also possible that maybe Luke, there in the Jerusalem church, had heard Mary recount this. And I can only imagine, if that's the case, I can only imagine just how excited, even looking back, knowing way more than she knew at the time, that not only had God done this great thing, and not only was God sending the Messiah, she knew, she knew, based on what Gabriel had told her, that God was changing history. We see that as, as we dig into this. She knew that, this was, that, that the child in her womb was going to be the Messiah, the one that was going to set Israel free. The one that was promised back all the way. She tied it all the way back to Abraham that would fulfill all the promises. She knew all of that. But what she didn't know was how it would be done. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder that as she thought back of how her Savior lived, how he served, how he loved, how he taught, how he died, how he rose from the grave. I wonder as she is recounting this, if this song just burst forth from her again. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. Here, this lowly nobody was visited and the Savior of the world was placed in her womb. What an amazing story. What an amazing account. Now, one of the things that I want you to see, we're going to look at that Mary and Elizabeth and John being proclaimers of this great word that the Messiah, the king, had come to his people. But one of the things that I want you to note is there is a, a visitor, uh, Gabriel, that came and proclaimed something as well. And Gabriel, this isn't his first time that we see him in the Bible. Do you remember the first time that we see Gabriel appear in the Bible? It's in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Gabriel appears to Daniel. Daniel had had these visions. He had had these dreams. And he's trying to figure out what they mean. And to interpret them, Gabriel comes to him. And the message in Daniel chapter 8 and 9 as Gabriel speaks to Daniel is this. Daniel's vision had been of kings and kingdoms. And Gabriel's vision, as Gabriel comes to him, says, what you are seeing are the things that are going to take place in the end. And the message that Gabriel is proclaiming to Daniel is that what you are seeing is the end. It's the kingdom of God coming. 
the kingdom of God being established on this earth. And so is it any coincidence that when Jesus is proclaimed to Mary, that it's Gabriel who does it? Let's look back in our text before we move forward to verses 31 through 33 as Gabriel is speaking. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom will have no end. It's as if this angel Gabriel had one job to do. The proclamation of the kingdom of God and Gabriel is here and he's saying it is happening now. It is happening to you. And so if you were Theophilus. And you were reading this text or or maybe you were hearing this for the first time. And you say, yes, angel. King of the Most High, He's coming to earth. This is the way that you would think it would happen. This is the way that you think it would be proclaimed. Angels. And and next might be a parade. Big circumstances. Loud proclamations of the King coming to this earth. Rulers and priests in the streets celebrating. That's not how it was proclaimed. Instead, it was... Two women and a baby, wasn't it? Two women and a baby. How unlikely that we, thousands of years later, when we're reading about the proclamation of what God is about to do and what God has done, that it's two women and a baby. An old, barren woman and an unknown virgin meeting together. Amazed that God had given them both a child and what God was up to. And, and, you know, we sometimes culturally lose sight of the reality of the day and age in which the Bible was written. It would have never been if you were going to make up a story of the of a king coming to the earth that you would have two women being the ones that proclaim and usher in this kingdom. Just not the way it would have been, but this account. This account of these two women, and as we celebrate this time of year, they are just a part of the history. They're a part of the narrative. As you heard our kids sing and read Scripture this morning, it's all over for thousands of years. Now, as we dig in, there's something I don't want you to miss. Starting in verse 39, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city in Judah, And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, who was her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was the first one to proclaim that Christ was coming? The baby in this womb. The one whom it had been prophesied would be the forerunner. And before he could even use his mouth to make a sound or his brain to utter a sentence, his whole being leapt when he came into the presence of his Savior. 
God used this life in this womb. John was known and created by God even before he was born. He had a purpose and he was known. And we could linger here about life and life in the womb. But what you need to hear is that God is at work and God is in control. And this baby gives the first proclamation. And then, and then we get Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice. This is the witness. She cries with a loud voice. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Who do we often give the credit to the first person in the Bible declaring that Jesus is Lord? Peter. What did Elizabeth declare here? The mother of my Lord would come to me. Jesus is Lord. The baby in your womb is Lord. And Elizabeth is declaring this. And as she praises Mary, sometimes this is misunderstood. Sometimes, you know, and I think by the Catholic Church, this has been greatly misunderstood. That that she wasn't praising Mary because Mary had some intrinsic value. In this day and age, a woman's dignity, a woman's honor was about the children that she bore. And, And if you know your Old Testament, you understand this. And you know that, you know, Sarah struggled with barrenness. Hannah struggled with barrenness. Elizabeth had struggled with barrenness. And so when 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 a woman would have a baby, it was a common thing to be like, you are blessed. You have been able to bear children. And Elizabeth was saying this, but she was saying it with extra vigor because it was not only that she was able to bear children, but she knew that the child in her womb. Was the king of the universe. And then we get to Mary. She just couldn't hold back. As she says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She uses this wording as the Holy Spirit has come upon her. And what it's saying is that from deep within her, her whole being is rejoicing. I I think she couldn't have not spoken even if she would have tried because of the joy and the blessing that she was feeling in this moment. And it just comes out of her. It burst into this great song. And it's not a simple song, is it? And it's striking. Striking and fitting. And that we would take lessons from this. That she rejoices in God for her Savior. All the praise, all the glory, all the honor is going to God for the great thing that He has done. Her God, her Savior, for He has done great things for and to me. Mary was the lowly bondservant. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed, not because of anything that she has done, but what God is doing in and through her. And I think there's this temptation, especially this time of year, 
to, to look at this and say, well, of course she was happy. She was having a baby. Aren't most women happy when they find out they're pregnant and having a baby? But this baby was being born into difficult circumstances. This was costing Mary potentially a lot. She was unmarried. Which had huge, awful, potentially horrific implications. And yet, in the middle of that, she's not looking to her circumstances. She's trusting the word that has been given to her from the Lord. Oh, that we may look at her faith and the faith of Elizabeth and learn from them. Notice that there's a change. She goes from saying, my soul, he has done great things for me. She switches from that to third person plural. And we look in verse 50. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Verses 54 and 55. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants Forever. And she goes from this wonderful praise of what God has done for me to this praise of what God has done for his people. God's word is true for thousands and thousands of years. There has been this promise that God would bring forth a Messiah. God would bring forth a king, a Christ, and that he would come and he would deliver his people. And here we have Mary making this exclamation she knows that this is the apex of history and she's proclaiming what she has known and what she has heard and what she has believed and we have to ask ourselves the question as well don't we do we believe the promises of god do we believe in god's word and some of you may be saying An angel has not shown up at my house and spoken to me. I haven't seen Gabriel. But God has given us His Word. God's very Word. And the question that we have to struggle with is do we believe what we read? And if so, if we believe the great promises that we read in this Word, we will also be great proclaimers because we know that there is good news. God has sent His Son and that His Son is one day returning. There's more here, and it's interesting. Many people have done a a deep dive into Mary's song. And one of the things that, that if you look at this song, one of the things that you'll realize pretty quickly is a lot of what Mary is singing is from the book of Psalms. There are tons of cross-references there, and I just wonder, I just wonder, again, maybe some speculation, but it would have been that Mary would have grown up singing these psalms, I just wonder that as she is filled with the Spirit and as she is proclaiming what God has done, that the scripture that maybe she sang as a little girl, like our kids were up here singing this morning, came back to her memory and is part of this wonderful song inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's also fascinating that when we look at this, that there are some parallels from another account in the Old Testament. I mentioned her earlier. Do you remember Hannah from the Old Testament? Hannah was barren, couldn't conceive a child, and she 
prayed to God and she said, hey, listen, if you will grant me a child, then I will give him to you in service. And she ultimately uh, conceived and bore a child and his name was Samuel. And she took him to the temple and he served the Lord there. Isn't it interesting? What is Samuel maybe most famous for? Selecting the king that God would have on the throne of Israel. And Samuel was the one who went to Jesse's sons and all the sons were parading before him. And as he was praying and under the inspiration of the spirit, not him, not him, not him, David, him. And as this son is being born, it's according to the line of who? David. There are many parallels here. There are many connections here. But I want you to hear this song from Hannah and you will hear uh, what you heard in our uh, text that was read this morning. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes the poor rich. He brings the low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of earth are the Lord's and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of the godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. And as you heard read earlier, we see some common themes in, in, in Mary's song. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. This is an, an illusion, a metaphor of his strength when it talks about his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. And what you see in Hannah's song and in Mary's song is that God, when he usher ends his kingdom, it is going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. This is not a kingdom for the political elite. It's not a kingdom for those who have the most strength and might and the most power. This is a kingdom that will be filled with people who are lowly, who are needy, who are hungry. They will be fed. As we've been going through the book of James before we pause for this Christmas season, we saw this theme in James as well, right? In Luke, later on in Luke, as Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, we know these words. Jesus speaks these words in Luke 6, starting in verse 20. And turning his gaze toward the disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. This is the way of this kingdom that's being proclaimed. The king has come. And his mercy extends to all who have need. Praise God for that. 
Praise God. It's also interesting. As we look at Hannah's prayer, there's there's something that's there at the at the very end. Where it talks about. In verse 10, at the end, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Where did this come from? And would it fascinate you to know where it says that he'll give strength to his king and he'll ignore the strength to the horn of his anointed? That in the, the, the Greek translation of that would be Messiah. God has been at work for thousands of years since the beginning of time. His plan was to send this son into the world. This coming king, his kingdom has come and Mary gets it. And Luke has been very careful in laying this out for us. And Mary knew that God was at work. She knew how great she rejoiced greatly. And as we read the book of Luke, one of the things that we would see is that the kingdom is bigger and greater than what Mary even knew at this time. And isn't it a strange way to announce a message? Isn't this a strange way to announce the message? Isn't it strange that we would be up here on Signal Mountain, this small little group of us, proclaiming and announcing this same message? I want to go back to my speculation about Mary for just a little bit. I think Mary, if she got to talk to Luke, or if Luke got to hear the testimony of Mary in person, that I think that one of the things that she would probably say is, I never imagined. I never imagined. I was filled with awe. I was filled with wonder. I believe that God was doing it. I believe that he was able. I believe that he could and he would. But I could have never imagined how it went down. There's a song that this time of year for about 20 years has just run through my brain. It's a song by Chris Rice. And two of the last verses. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood would save us. Unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sins and make us holy. Perfect son of God. Welcome to our world. She couldn't have imagined at this point. That not only would she be there when Gabriel was making this. Proclamation to her that you. You will be the mother of the Messiah. That she gives birth to the Messiah. That she would be at the foot of the cross. As he's dying. That she would see him resurrected. 
She would see him ascend into heaven and she would see the birth of the church. I hope Luke got to hear that testimony in person. And the question to us, as we know all these things, is this. Will we join her in this song? Will you join her in singing? What is it that we have seen? What is it that we know? We know that Christ has come. We know the work that He did. And we know that He is coming again. He has not left us. His coming again is sure. Isn't it fascinating that Romans, when it talks about creation waiting, it's groaning in what? In birth pains. Almost as if, as we are here and we are waiting, it's pregnant, we're expecting, he's coming again, this time not as a baby. And so the question is this, what song will we sing? What song is your heart singing this morning? Are you believing? Are you waiting? Are you trusting? Are you participating? Are you witnessing? Are you proclaiming? You see, I think a lot of us have been lulled to sleep. Some of us have just been lulled to sleep by complacency. Go to work. Come home. Go to work. Come home. Raise kids. Trying to get to retirement. Maybe you're in retirement. and You're trying to figure out how to do better at shuffleboard or whatever all you retirees do. Maybe you've been lulled to sleep with complacency. Or maybe. Maybe you're facing some difficult things, that life has been hard, that life has been difficult, that you're in the middle of what seems to be dark. And to all of us, this scripture tells us and what we know of this gospel in which we serve, that means everything to us is that we have reason to rejoice. And so this morning, The very fact that we celebrate a Christmas season, it's not as if we shouldn't celebrate Christ being born year round. But one of the reasons that we pause this time of year and one of the reasons that I think it is good and that we should do this is because this time of year should cause us to kind of pause and recalibrate. What is it that we believe? Christ has come. He is coming again. The king has come on his throne History has been made and history will be made again. At one of the performances I went to, I'm not going to call them out. There was a group that was performing and uh, part of the instruments were off. And I play music a little bit, enough to know that when that music is off, that half step, it's just a little bit annoying you wanted to like pause the pause the thing and say, oh, wait a minute. Can we just tune that up just a little bit? Proceed. That's my task today. My task today. 
is to look at you and proclaim this great message, this great gospel that we have. Fully aware and knowing that some of you, myself included, need just a little bit of a tune up. We need to be reminded of the greatness of our God and the great things that he has done in sending his son. And my goal is for your soul, your soul, to magnify the Lord for what he has done and for what he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have done great things for us. Your son came to this earth. He lived, he died. He rose, he ascended to heaven. You have made a way for salvation. You have ransomed your people. God, help us to be proclaimers. We live in a world that desperately needs your truth. Help us to be sources of salvation. Help us to be a witness that points people to everlasting life. That's only given through your son Jesus. In whose name we pray.